Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 117. This is the first episode of two where Carl interviews some amazing guests live at that conference. You won't want to miss it. Also, Brandon joins Carl for the news. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics, providing tools and solutions to accelerate design, development, insights, and collaboration for any organization. Welcome, everybody. This week we are broadcasting from that conference, and uh, Jason's not able to be here. Uh, he's like adulting it, working, making his clients happy, you know, stuff like that. So, uh, luckily, Brandon, uh, longtime friend of the show, uh, is part of that conference. So, what, what what have you actually been doing as official staff member of that conference? As official. So uh, at the event, I am generally the photographer. So uh, I'm generally shoving my camera in people's faces, <laughs> uh, going check out all the speakers. So I get to see every talk that's going on. Um, otherwise, I do help out with some of the social media, some of the graphics, uh, some of the more creative side of things. Kind of an in-between uh, guy for the dev versus the UI stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, and you also were able to talk this year, right? I did. I was uh, able to give a talk on .NET Core, so one of only a couple, actually. That that actually kind of surprised me how big of a topic that is, and you know the momentum I see towards that. There was relatively few. Yep. Yeah. We uh, so as that conference, we try to be very polyglot, so yep. we don't want to push too hard on one side of technology. So it it was surprising just because it's obviously new, cool, and all that. But at the same time, there's a lot of other cool tech and some of the you know open source stacks and things like that. So try to give the love everywhere we can. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, and as you can see, they have a new logo this year. It looks awesome. Brandon is sporting it heavily. Yep, for, the for, those, for those on video, get that extra little bit, so some coding trees. Uh, but let's get to the Infragistics Ultimate winner this week. It, uh, the winner is from email, Jonathan Buckland. He was commenting on the .NET Core episode with Scott Hunter. He says, greetings from over the pond. As a UK .NET developer and a Microsoft fan since the dawn of time, it's great to listen to your podcast and the great interviews you have each episode. This one made me laugh as you were discussing the battle over spaces and tabs. If you watch the TV series Silicon Valley, you would know that Richard thinks tabs are the way to go, as so does Carl. <laughs> so much that he breaks up with his girlfriend who uses spaces. And he has a YouTube link, which we'll put in the show notes. And then he thought that he would, he, uh, we would appreciate the humor on this one. And he says, jolly good show. Well, jolly good to you, too. And uh, if you want to be mentioned on the show, just like him, you can uh, reach out to us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Stitcher, feedback at msdevshow.com. And we really like those five-star iTunes reviews. Those are really awesome. All right, so let's get into the news, which is why Brandon is here, uh, because you don't want to hear me talk about it just by myself. <laughs> don't want to talk to yourself, huh? No. So this first one is, is just, it was an announcement from Mozilla saying that, hey, with the next version that's coming out, we got this new feature that every tab is its own process, and they're really proud of it. And I, I think you had the same reaction that I did, Brandon. <laughs> So I, I have to admit, when uh, Carl shared the news link with me, 
I opened it up and I actually double checked the date. I'm like, he could not have meant to send this to me. So, uh, Mozilla apparently introduced the multiprocess into Firefox. Mm-hmm. And I was reading the article. I'm like, I feel like five years ago, Chrome was doing the same thing. I, I want to say, I, I'm not sure, but I think Chrome shipped with that. That it, was like one of have, yeah. I want to say it was like one of their big features that they had, you know, to make it more stable, to make it faster, right, and use less memory. Well, back then, oh, back yeah, back then, <laughs> yeah, things have changed. Uh, so yeah, it was it was really funny to see, and you know, not not to downplay it, it's great. Yeah. It's a it's a much needed improvement if it wasn't there before, but it just oddly timed, I guess. Yeah. Although they do mention that it also is like that on their mobile device on the Android version as well. So that yeah. that is kind of cool to see there too. I could Now, if it were just the mobile announcement, I could see that being a little different just because depending on platform and stuff, it can be a little Architecting sketchy. Architecting that is a little bit different. Right. So that I could understand, but since it's desktop as well, that's what kind of puts the little chuckle in there. Like, wow, okay. So, I mean... It seems like they're catching up. It's definitely a good move. We're not, you know, taking away from that. It's just, yeah, this would have been cool a few years ago, guys. Yep. All right. So the next one I thought was really interesting. There's an article about how Facebook kept somebody in tech. Um, and it, and kind of the heart of this story, we'll have the link in the show notes, to me was, you know, somebody uh, kind of found out about, you know, a group of people, uh, a woman in tech uh, group in particular, and she met some people. She was kind of like deciding, you know, should I stay in tech or not? Mm-hmm. And well, through this group, she had an interview. She didn't get it, but there was so much encouragement along the way that she, you know, like tech is what I want to do. And and to me, that kind of resonated, especially at really fitting that we're at that conference, you know, Sometimes it takes getting out into the community, mm-hmm. plugging in, making some friends that really kind of keep you motivated when things just might be going south at work. Maybe you're just doing something boring or, yeah. you know, your boss was hard on you and you're just questioning, you know, with your imposter syndrome and all that. You know, should I even be doing this anymore? Right. You know, it, it's great to have those extra connections. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, just as a community, it's, it's almost our individual responsibility to lift others up, especially when they're struggling or they're just questioning, like, did I even make the right career move? Is this something I should even be doing? And in, in this article specifically, they talk about, uh, so it's, it's a woman and there's an all woman panel at Facebook that they basically opened up to her and, you know, pulled her in. They, they found a way to connect with her through, mm-hmm. um, you know, as, as we all know, women are more or less a minority in the dev community. And to see that and be able to, mm-hmm. you know, feel embraced was probably a huge boost for her. Um, just to, to kind of cross-reference it mm-hmm. to that conference, this year we actually had 40% uh, female speakers, which is... Which is more or less above industry. It's above industry average, but we want to get it to, you know, the people average. Right. Exactly. Which is oddly enough, 51% (laughs) women. So, um, you know, we as a community, that conference and, you know, at large, uh, really try to, you know, help those that aren't necessarily disenfranchised, but that might not always know the right paths. And, you know, that community effort is really important. Making sure everybody just has a fair shot. Exactly. I think that's the biggest piece. Definitely. So it's great to hear that, you know, she had a great experience and was able to, you know, push forward with her career thanks to people that had that same mentality. Yeah. 
Right. So moving on to a, a technical, uh, much less t- or much more technical topic, uh, Scott Hanselman had a, uh, a a list that he stole from the feedback app, and he blatantly says that's where I got it from of the new Windows shortcuts that came in the anniversary update or other ones that may have been around for a while that you just don't use a whole lot. And I, I think it's really nice as you know as developers as people use their computers constantly. Uh, probably more than we probably should. Um, that you know, hey, keyboard shortcuts are great, and you know, let's find some ones that might make our lives a little bit easier. I mean, there's some on here that I knew I've been using for a long time, like Control Shift Escape to bring open the Task Manager, uh, Windows L to lock your PC. Those are uh, have been around for a while, but there's a few on here that kind of uh, are either new or, or just like. I, I didn't even think to do something like this. Anything stand out to you, Brandon? Well, so what I thought was interesting about the list is that it's not just Windows shortcuts. It's some of the, like, the built-in apps, like you know the WordPad and Remote Desktop and stuff. Uh, the new ones for me, actually, were the Cortana ones, just because, yeah. obviously, it's a newer feature to Windows. Um, honestly, I haven't really dug into Cortana that much. Yeah. Uh, I've been on Windows 10 for quite a while now, and I still just haven't really embraced the feature. So I'll have to give the keyboard shortcuts a try and see if that you know kind of pushes me there. Yeah, I think one of the things that are really cool is just how much love that the calendar has gotten. There's so much you can do with the calendar now. Yeah, yeah. I think um, seeing a lot of the integrated apps, mm-hmm. uh, that was something I always thought was oddly lacking in Windows was like calendars and some of the basic <laughs> stuff. So it's cool that it's in there, and then just the ability to like have shortcuts to add stuff and navigate. Uh, it's it's a better experience, especially for like yeah. dev centric people, right? We love our keyboard shortcuts, so being able to just quickly do stuff is fantastic. Yeah, right. So uh, this next one, I think that you may may have heard of Brandon. Um, it's on the site brandonmartinez.com. Sounds like a good site. <laughs> yeah, so, so as mentioned earlier, uh, I was able to give a talk here at that conference. Um, I've, I've chatted about it before on a couple episodes about my passion for the ASP.NET web stack and especially .NET Core, ASP.NET, VNX, DNX, so on and so forth. So I, I think one of the interesting things in particular that gives you a little bit of background on this is you've actually been working for a long time in production with the release candidate and beta versions of ASP.NET Core. Correct. Yep. With uh, with one of my clients, we have been working since beta, I want to say beta 4, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, we're actually now in the process of getting onto the RTM, which is one of the things that actually inspired my talk. So... Uh, for the for the listeners, the talk is about building and deploying ASP.NET Core apps through Visual Studio Team Services to Azure. So, so just kind of connecting all the dots on that full stack. Right, exactly. And it's it's been a very interesting thing to put together because I, I outlined my presentation when I submitted it. So that was like back in April. Mm-hmm. And since April, we've had two release candidates. We've had the RTM. And then they also broke out the tooling into a separate um, like uh, update that you can install. So not only are we off of like all the DNU stuff, but now we're actually using the .NET CLI, uh, which is now in its own preview state. So it's it's been a very like exciting process. Though I will admit, it's been very hard to put the presentation together <laughs> because it's been a moving target. So. How much does it take, like if, if I wanted to do just a file new project, get like a Hello World example out with the new tools, mm-hmm. you know, you know, at the high level, what's involved and how quickly can I get that 
kind of set up through VSTS and deployed like you mentioned? Yeah, so that's that's actually a great question. And, and that's kind of the sweet spot of my talk. And it basically came down to that you can do a file new project, mm-hmm. create a new ASP.NET Core app, and uh, as long as you have the latest SDK and you have the latest uh, Visual Studio update, it's, it's all using latest greatest. So you're using the .NET CLI, CLI and all that fun stuff. Uh, from there, that is actually enough if you push it into a VSTS code repository mm-hmm. because they are actually running a .NET CLI in their build agents. All you have to do is add two command tasks, one being .NET uh, restore, which grabs all your packages, yep. and the other being .NET publish, which oddly enough does not put it anywhere <laughs> on a server. It just creates a set of assets and yep, uh, artifacts. Exactly. And from there, you can set up a deployment. You can have just a drop that you can pull your artifacts from. But that's more or less it. It's just a couple steps. So we're getting to almost uh, the Visual Studio build task, right, where you just needed one step. So we're at two. We have to get rid of that last step, and we're solid. I think they'll work it out. Yeah. All right. So the last item that we had I I thought was really interesting. Um, It's titled, I want to know what code is running inside my body. I know you said you thought this one was really interesting as well. Yeah, so this this really grabbed my attention um, just because so uh, earlier this year, I actually had some heart issues and one of the options before they went in and actually discovered what was really wrong um, was, well, if your heart's not beating regularly, the potential of a pacemaker was there. Mm-hmm. Um, now, while I did not actually get a pacemaker, they just did a minor surgery and got it all fixed up. Um, it still provoked the thought like, wow, that means I would have computer hardware inside of my body. You'd be a cyborg. Yeah, I would. <laughs> Truly, right? I mean, that's kind of the definition, you know? And so reading this article, I was going through, and I'm like, wow, that's that actually added even more thought than what I was even putting to it. Like, well, it's hardware, but hardware needs software. Yeah. And, you know, would I have to go in for updates? Do I yeah. go to the pacemaker app store and download the latest update? Or, like, how does that work? Yeah, so th- this article summarizes, there's this lady that at, at the age of 33, she had a heart condition. She went and she needed a pacemaker, like like you mentioned, Brandon. And, you know, after, you know, it was in, it was working great for a while. And after a couple of months, like, she was doing something and her heart was getting going. And all of a sudden, she, like, didn't have any breath and everything was just really goofy. Well, she went in and, long story short, eventually they found out that there was some parameters that was just set incorrectly and, you know, that's kind of goofy, you know, it's just think that a couple a numbers, not even necessarily code that was done right. incorrectly, but it was just the numbers, you know, that was feeding these functions was not right and was causing her to almost feel like she was dying. And she actually had somebody like pull out the source code for her pacemaker and show her exactly what was going on. Right. And she said, you know, like, you know, she never, you know, she's not comfortable updating pacemaker firmware or anything like that. But, you know, it really brings you to that thing, you know, as a lot of us brace open source and understanding what's, what's going on, you know, when we get to these things that are very critical, you know, where is, where is that boundary? Even if it's just, you know, here it is for knowledge. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if you think about just the number of times that you've developed and you went to go configure a web app and you're like, oops, I forgot uh, an apostrophe or I added an extra slash there. You can't really do that when you're dealing with someone's life. So just the amount of QA and just making sure everything is set right and needs to be a lot higher. Yeah. So yeah, I think this is a very thought provoking article. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you a lot for filling in for Jason. Uh, yep. Sorry. Sorry. You couldn't be here. I really miss seeing him, but yeah, I'm welcome to help. Luckily we have the option to be here this week. And, uh, 
Yeah, uh, following we'll have a ton of recordings that we, uh, we've done uh, throughout the week. This is day three. Uh, we've got most of them done. I've got a few more to go yet, so this is going to be kind of out of order, but it's a lot of fun to do. So you'll see me change shirts a bunch of times. <laughs> and uh, you'll even see uh, coming up uh, a few of the guests interact with people that are even walking by our booth. So Awesome. So uh, uh, we've had a lot of fun here, and uh, thanks again, Brandon, for being on. Yeah, thank you, as always, for having me. All right. Uh, right now we're talking to Jess Borland. Hi. Hey, Carl. How you doing? Yeah, so you spoke today, right? Yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah. Getting our days mixed. It's day two of the conference <laughs> yet. End of the day. Lots of fun. And you spoke on... SQL profiler versus extended events. I did. I did. Bringing SQL server knowledge to the developer community. Yeah. So I, I, I believe we last time we talked, we, we discovered or we discussed this a little bit, but there's a little bit of new news. So SQL profiler is kind of getting long in the tooth. It's going away. It's going yeah. away. So um, Microsoft announced a couple versions of SQL Server ago that eventually profiler is being deprecated. So gone. Hasta la vista, no more. Um, we don't know exactly which one yet, mm -hmm. but it's coming sooner rather than later. And also, the big news is that once you start moving into Azure, mm -hmm. for example, SQL Database or SQL Data Warehouse, there's no profiler support at all. Okay. So just to kind of step back a bit, like what is SQL Profiler and what is Extended Events? Because I know they're shocking to you. Uh, there are still some people who don't know what they are and how they can make their lives better. Yeah. All right. So Profiler is basically uh, Microsoft's tracing tool. Um, you might have uh, some sort of instrumentation within your application that captures how often you know classes are being used and how often certain functions are being called. Mm -hmm. uh, Profiler is very similar to that within SQL Server. It can track a variety of things um, it, from very system-related things related to the hardware, um, but more importantly to developers, things like how many times a stored procedure was called within SQL Server and, and how long it took and how many reads it did and what results it returned. Um, so that's what Profiler is. It's been around since SQL Server 7.0, so a long yeah. time. And one of the things I like, it gives you like a query execution plan so you can actually run it and it'll tell you like the join took up this much of the total time and yes. so on and so forth. Really break it down to each piece of yes. the query. So. As a developer, that's what I find useful because then I can say, you know what, if I just switch this join a little bit, it's just going to cut down the performance going to go through the roof. Yes. So how do I do that with extended events? Because All right. So extended events is the future, mm -hmm. and it is it was introduced initially with SQL Server 2008, except it stank. Yep. Don't use it for 2008. With 2012, it got really good. Um, so it's a feature that you access through SQL Server Management Studio. Um, you just expand your server, you find it under your management tab, um, and you, much like with Profiler, for those of you that are familiar with it, it had a GUI where mm -hmm. you could go through and like check what events you wanted and what metrics about those events to capture. You have that same thing in essence with extended events. You have a much longer list of events to choose from, um, actions about those events that you can capture and metrics. You save the information either in the memory, which is nice if you're just doing some really short term, really quick collection, or even onto a file on disk for later review, um, more measurements, et cetera. All right. So, what what was the takeaway of your, or one of the key takeaways of your talk there? Because I'm sure there's more than one. Um, I think the big one was that 
a lot of the new features that are coming into SQL Server are really exciting for developers. Um, things like primarily in-memory OLTP, which enables us to create in-memory tables they totally different, like no locks, no latches, right? Super fast performance. Um, anything like our column store indexes, which are another thing that make tables much faster, right? Just make transactional systems much perform much faster. Um, you cannot use Profiler with those. So any feature that's been added since SQL Server 2012 or greater, you have to use extended events for, you cannot use Profiler. Microsoft is really making it clear that Profiler is going away. All right. So as, as a developer, what's the simplest way for me to just check out extended events? All right. So the cool thing is there's pretty much a one-to-one -one mapping between everything that exists in Profiler and everything that exists in extended events. And there's a tool, which I mentioned in my talk, uh, created by another SQL blogger named Jonathan Cahayas. Um, and he works for SQLSkills.com. You can check out his uh, tool set there. And it... Mm -hmm takes a trace that you already have created, puts it through a script, and poof, out the other end comes the extended event session. So it does all the hard work for you. And then, so what I recommend is people take an existing profiler that they created or a trace that they've created, put it through this tool, and then just see what comes out the other side. So you have side-by-side -side comparison. So you can get used to what you... You see what you were used to, see what's new, and kind of get used to, you know, the newness. Exactly, exactly. And it's really about starting small, mm -hmm. right? And there's people sometimes are like, I'm going to use, I'm never going to use Profiler again. And I'm like, the downside is I still use Profiler every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> um, so that's an ambitious goal. But yep. I think a really, a really good thing to say is just start small, right? Start with something that you do all the time and you're really familiar with in Profiler, because then, if you're going to be doing it all the time in extended events, you'll get very familiar with extended events very quickly as well. Yeah. So, and again, everything that exists in Profiler, all of the events that you're used to, all of the filters that you're used to, they're there. You're not missing anything. Mm -hmm. So it's a really easy transition. That's awesome. So I know that when I ran SQL Profiler, one of the downsides is it was really bloated and heavy. Is extended events the same? Do I have to... No, extended so, events is fantastic. So I heard even a rumor that you could probably even run this in production. If you're careful, absolutely. I uh, have several systems where I've created extended event sessions that run in the background all the time, capturing very carefully collected information. Mm -hmm. So that comes back to how Microsoft kind of did the internals of it. Uh, it used to be with Profiler that they did what they called um, post-execution Mm -hmm. And so it would, you'd set up your session, it would start like collecting data and buffers, mm -hmm. and then after every query had been executed, then it would finally look at your filters and be like, all right, I do keep this one, don't, 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 do, don't, don't, don't. And that's what slowed things down so much, right? Like the buffers on your SQL Server could get overloaded so quickly and you'd bring so you a system you needed a lot down. of memory just to remember all the things it didn't know if it needed or yeah. not. Yeah, and so um, it's pre-execution now is how extended events works. As these, all of these events in your system are happening as they're streaming past, the extended events session uh, or extended events engine really looks at them and only carefully pulls out the ones that are actually needed and streams it into the system. Um, it, it's incredibly 
incredibly more powerful and can run um, without bringing systems down. Um, again, Jonathan Cajayas, who's probably one of the people most knowledgeable about the internals of extended events, um, posted a blog um, that shows the performance gains. Awesome. Yeah. So I don't know anything else about this, and I know you know tons more. Is there anything else we should know about this? Um, let's see. Other things to know about extended events. Well, profiler's going away. It's super easy to use. The biggest thing I can tell you is I have a GitHub repo. It's github.com slash girlgeek. That's G-R-R-L-G-E-E-K. Mm-hmm. And you can go out there and get some pre-written scripts that create extended event sessions for the most commonly like used things. Uh, because the benefit of this in in um, Profiler, yep. if you would try to script out, right, like DBAs love automation. Mm-hmm. I'm sure developers love automation too, Absolutely. right? Like why, if you're going to do something twice, script it out because exactly. you don't want to have to do it manually again. No. With Profiler, you could script out your traces, but it provided this really ugly list of like, SP output and then a couple of numbers, SP parameter and a couple of numbers, nobody could interpret that. With extended events, if you create a session and you uh, ex- and you script it out, it's just a T-SQL statement, create event session, add event oh, nice. with target, right? So it's a human readable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what you can do is you can create a session, create a session on one server, save the script like I've done in my GitHub repo, and then just run it on any other number of servers to collect the information. That definitely sounds like it's a lot easier. A lot easier, yes. Right. And another thing you can do, um, which I find useful, particularly when doing troubleshooting, because as a DBA, right, someone will call me and say, we have this batch process that runs overnight and sometime between like 2 and 3 a.m. it it just slows down, (laughs) you know, the the application starts erroring out or, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't, you know, it's not the code, it's something in the database. And I don't want you up at 3 a.m. starting a profiler session because I don't want to be up at 3 a.m. starting a profiler session. So you can combine SQL Server's agent, which lets you schedule jobs, with an extended event session. So you can start it at 2 a.m. and stop it at 3 a.m. to capture data at a very specific time. And then the data is just waiting for you the next morning when you go in. Yeah, that's helped me troubleshoot a lot of problems without losing sleep, (laughs) which we all appreciate. So how are you enjoying the conference this year? That conference is awesome. Um, it's, so this is my third year, my Excellent. second as a speaker. Um, it's great to see a lot of uh, old friends, mm-hmm. right, and make some new ones. Um, what I'm really excited about is how much the family program has grown, mm-hmm. just to see all of the families, the other adults, but also the kids. Um, I was talking to one of my friends today, and he said he brought his 14-year-old grandson. Nice. I was like, cool, is he enjoying the pool? He's like, no, he wants to go to every session with me. <laughs> He's learning about um, something about Minecraft. Yep. And so I was like, oh, that's awesome. They're really doing a good job of getting kids that are interested or maybe on the verge of being interested to really see other kids that are interested yeah. and get involved with things that are relevant to them. I can only entertain a room full of teenagers for so long, but... Oh, five minutes? Yeah, basically. Because <laughs> I'm an adult, right? Yeah. But when other kids their age are talking about the robots they built, the websites they've designed, the applications they put on their phone, they think that's cool. 
So I love that about that conference as well. So I don't know if you remember, but we met here three years ago. We did. Yes. Yes. And about a non-techie subject as well. Gosh, I don't remember what we talked about the first time. We talked about uh, my artisanal cheese. I make my own mozzarella. That's right. That's right. And for some reason, you still haven't brought any into work. No, I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) Darn it. So maybe that'll happen sooner than later. It should. I'm thinking, do I create anything artisanal? You have Uh, a garden and you're constantly tweeting. I do. So you need to bring over some mozzarella because then I can make some fresh caprese salad with my tomatoes and my basil and it'll be some good stuff. Yeah. So we'll have to do it sometime. We will. All right. It's on the internet. We have to know. (laughs) (laughs) We have witnesses. All right. Well, it was nice talking to you here again and, uh, Hope you enjoy the rest of your conference. For sure. We've got the pig roast tonight. Absolutely. So cool. Thanks for having me. All right. Right now we're talking to Raj Krishnan. And uh, you want to talk about a new Azure feature. Um, So a a little bit about you first. Uh, uh, What do you do? Yeah. um, uh, Again, the name is Raj Krishnan. I'm a cloud solution architect. All right. I used to be, I'm with Microsoft. It's been now 14 years, believe it or not. Uh, I used to be an architect at the MTC. Mm-hmm. And then I worked with DX yep. for several years. Now I'm part of the SMSNP, concentrating on what we call high potential accounts as a cloud solution architect, focusing on data, actually. Awesome. Yeah. So if we uh, think that Microsoft could help us in any way, shape, or form in the cloud area, we would go to you. I'm one of the guys, yeah. Awesome. So this uh, dev test of our, tell me a little bit about it because... Uh, I have heard of it, but I have not looked into it at all. Okay. So what is it and how can it help us as developers? Yeah, so so here is a, it's a, it's a new feature. It's been on public preview. I think it's a couple of months ago it okay. became generally available. Um, you know, I think about a year ago or so, um, I think I had the statistic that said about 15% of the cloud workload is development and testing. Mm-hmm. It might have changed, but I still think that that's one of the areas where there is a big demand for cloud. Even people who are not ready for cloud or do not have experience with the cloud, that seems to be the first place to go. Hey, let me just put my dev environment. Yep. This way I'm not exposing to the public. I can play with it, learn about it, and then when I'm ready and comfortable, I might just move into production. Yep. So since that seems to be a pattern, I think Microsoft did a great job of making that as a unique service, creating a separate service called Dev Test Labs. And it means what it says. It is just for development and testing. Just like you go to Azure and say, I want to create a new compute virtual machine. Now mm-hmm. you go to Azure and say, I want to create a new Dev Test Labs. So, so what am I developing and testing is this is this is my environment is this like a like a a staging area for my web code what is this what is this okay so typically when people want to say a developer you know you said yep. what's in it for developer a developer wants to uh, do something and they need a machine mm-hmm. right so what do they do they go to IT and they say yep. hey can you just uh, set up this uh, virtual machine for me and even even the sad thing is it'll be the same thing but next time when they want to go 
they'll ask them and the IT guy goes, oh, I don't have the time, or do you have the budget? There's a yep. whole bureaucratic process, right? Lots of red tape. The red tape and the de developers are frustrated and it is one of the biggest productivity inhibitor because mm -hmm. I got a lot of these ideas, I want to do this, but I can't get the resources yep. that I need. But the strange thing is, it's not because due to lack of money, it's because the, the roadblock is the IT guys. Right? Yep. Like someone told me, I was just talking this morning, somebody said, you know what? The best operation is when there is no need to create a ticket. Yep. Right? It's not that how effectively you manage the ticket. Mm -hmm. If you create an environment where you don't need to create a ticket, you've got a good DevOps. Yep. So what this thing does is, let's say, you know, we already know these guys have certain budget. You know what? Uh, I'm going to give them $200 for dev, dev test activity for infrastructure. Right? Mm -hmm. That's my limit. So what I will do, and I know this guy needs a basic Windows Server 2012, and maybe, oh, this guy needs an Ubuntu because he's doing Docker. I know the base machine this guy needs to work with, right? Mm -hmm. So what I do, I create a, a, a dev test lab as an administrator, yep. right? So there are two uh, stakeholders. One is the IT guy who creates the dev test lab, and the end user who leverages that uh, dev test lab. Yep. So as an administrator, I go and say, here is a dev test lab, and here is the user, and in this dev test lab, I'm going to leave these images yep. that are there. So when I say images, then you have multiple options. I can either pull from the marketplace images, but as an administrator, I'll say, hey, you can, you can upload your own. Yeah, build so, your so own. So if there's custom. a corporate image that you, you, know, image. you have you know, access to virtual networks or you know, DNS settings or maybe even certain software that exactly. can be preloaded. You can even control what VNet you can use because I don't want them to create another VNet. So yep. in my custom VM, I've already configured my VNet. Wait, which as a developer, that means, you know, like, that's something I would have to set up anyways, and I don't have to. Yeah, exactly. It's there, and I go, hey. And then we have something called, even to make it better, we have something called artifacts, right? Mm -hmm. So what I say, okay, here's my uh, 2012. You know what? I want to put um, our Ubuntu. I want to put a Docker. So we have pre-built artifacts. It's in the yep. GitHub repository, and, it, and you go click on the artifact, and it installs it. So I don't need to go remote desktop and go install mm -hmm. Docker. No JIT. There are pre-configured artifacts. So what happens as a developer, I'm doing what I really want to do, which is develop application, not go set up my machine, set up the network. Well, that also means that I don't have to mess up my machine locally either. I don't have to worry about installing Hyper-V and maybe having something fail because it's not, there's a few things that just don't work in Hyper-V. Yes. So I can just let the cloud worry about let that. Let cloud worry about it. And, and if my machine goes down, my dev environment's all up in the cloud. And then it's reusable, right? So I might mess one thing up, I still go and look at my, hey. So what we do is we also, we can, the, the biggest thing about IT is the control that you have yep. without the bureaucracy, right? The IT, like as an IT admin, I can say, hey, you, you department, you guys have $200, I'll give you, uh, you can have maximum six VMs, they cannot be, more than, than A4, <laughs> don't put all those D1s and <laughs> consume all the money. And then, but I'm not going to say it's you, it's your department. So if there are five yep. guys, if you want six machines, you can, any one of you, one of you can mm -hmm. have two, but as soon as you eat the six, I'm going to get an alert. You need, in that case, you need to come to me and say, hey, increase my limit. Yep. But then I don't get involved in who uses that and what they're doing. Yep. And also I reduce the work for the dev, but pre-building the uh, custom images, which is, could be the company standard, pre-built software, 
custom image, marketplace image. I could even go to the marketplace image and say, he can do this, this, and this, but he can't do this. He can't do the, um, you know, the um, the marketplace image for some custom image. I'll stop him from doing this. So I can restrict yet give the flexibility, right? So th this is the compromise between a free-for-all, anybody goes and builds something on Azure versus Everything goes through IT. We yep. find the right balance between the two. That sounds like a really cool offering. Yes, exactly. And I, this is not just my theoretical talk, because I worked with one of the customers, actually, in mm -hmm. this area. Uh, they were thrilled with this, mm -hmm. because they keep building these images. Every time somebody asks, now they use DevTest Lab, they build the images, it's got some Oracle installation, yep. so they create a custom image, and they made the custom image, and they pre-configure the network, for the virtual network. Mm -hmm. So the developers who want to do for customer testing, they just go yep. and spin up this image, do whatever they want. And then even even better, we even have the ability to do a pre-configure auto shutdown, right? So if you're not working at night. It just kills it, so kills it's not it, running all the time, running up the bill. Running up the bill. So cost-effective, targeted for the developer, and I, these guys are thrilled to use this. I, I think those of us who have been working in Azure for a while have all left something running longer than we should have. Yeah, and then suddenly, and unless, I don't know, you DX guys, you have a lot more money to spend, <laughs> but some of us with the MSDN Live subscription, middle of the Whoa. month it says... You're out, <laughs> you're out of money. Yeah, yeah. so this is, this is a really a great way to control cost, yet give the developers the freedom that they need. That sounds awesome. So how have you been enjoying that conference this year? Excellent. You know, so you know, the conferences are not about just learning. Yeah. Conferences are about meeting people, right? Yes. And it has been fantastic. It's a, it's very mutual. Like I, I must have at least made four new sales contacts <laughs> in two days because you just get to talk to them. I was just having coffee this morning. The guy said, "Oh, we are doing this," and he said, "Have you considered Azure?" We've been looking at it. Now I've got a lead. I'm just yep. going to get somebody to talk to them, which is going to benefit both of us. So I think the interaction with the people is probably the most important aspect of this, uh, this or any other conference. And and. and and for me, part of it too is, while we met through a networking contact, you know, I'm still learning tons and not in a session. Yeah. You don't, you, you, you don't just have to go and like, I'm going to learn about Docker because I'm going to Docker 101 or whatever it is. There's all these weird things that you just pick up. I, I could learn about artisanal chocolate making. I mean, <laughs> I mean, those are discussions that you come into here. Yes, so yeah, I the think people and, and, you know, the personalities. It's not just about education yeah. alone. It's a lot more. And, and I've come here most since they started, I believe, at least two or three times. And I've always, like someone mentioned this morning, this is a special, a bit more homely, you yes, know, the it people. Is. And it's one of the better conferences that I've been to. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you in the future years, Raj. And I it's will. been a pleasure talking to you right now. Same here. Thank you. Carl. Thanks a lot. Infragistics, Ultimate UX and UI Tools, and Enterprise Mobility Solutions, SharePlus and Report Plus, enable high-performance apps on any device, faster data insights, simplified collaboration, and market-leading security, all backed by comprehensive support. With Infragistics' Ultimate UX and UI Development Toolkit, you can ensure mission-critical applications delivering a superior user experience on the desktop, web, and native device environments for iOS and Android. With the latest BI tools, 
wow your users with dashboards providing the data insights that they need when and where they need it, all at a low total cost of ownership. Try it today. Download a free trial at Infragistics.com and follow them for the latest updates in UX and UI development, reporting, and collaboration at Infragistics on Twitter. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you will get a free copy of Infragistics Ultimate UX and UI Toolset. All right, now we're talking to Lisa Anderson. You are the Central Region MVP Coordinator? Yep, my official role is called Community Program Manager, and I manage the MVP program for the central part of the U.S., which is basically the whole center of the country. All right, and I know you a little bit. Uh, yeah. And I know you're a little bit newer to the role, but I know yeah. you because I'm a Microsoft MVP. Yeah. So we've had a, we had a chance to meet each other yeah. a little while ago at the MVP Open Days, which is mm -hmm. a nice little function for us to get together. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so um, this is your first year at that conference. What do you think of it so far? I'm loving it. Um, I'm having tons of great conversations with people, and it's a really good opportunity to connect with folks like yourself, MVPs that are already in the program, but this is an amazing place for me to also meet people who are uh, may not be familiar with the MVP program or really familiar with the community at Microsoft, and it's been great to have conversations with those folks as well, introduce myself, learn about what they enjoy doing, what they're passionate about, and tell them a little bit about the program. So I actually saw you right across from us yeah. is the open spaces. Yeah. And that's where you can just kind of talk about anything. So you yeah. actually led one of these on kind of like what the MVP program is and how to become one. I did, yeah. And I was actually really pleased because we probably had anywhere between 10 and 15 people cycle through the circle at various points within the hour. And honestly, I just put it on the schedule this morning. So I wasn't really mm -hmm. expecting anybody to show up. So it was cool to have people come. We had MVPs stop by and share their experiences. And we had people who have... Um, applied for the program before and maybe haven't been advanced through through mm -hmm. that cycle and we've had people who are totally new to hearing about the MVP program so it was a really great opportunity for me to just kind of get literally a circle of people together explain what the MVP program is why it's an amazing place um, for you know to, to build your your network and your community around the technology area that you love um, and Really, honestly, just a great place for me to hear about what other people are doing and um, get to know some new new people. That's awesome. Yeah. So what else are you doing here while you're... Yeah. So we, we have an event tonight, actually. We have um, an MVP community mixer. It starts at 8 p.m. So anyone who's at that conference um, can stop by. It's in the Cypress Room. So the point of that is, is really to get to know awesome people in the community um, and have them you know, meet us and get to know Microsoft a little bit better. So I'm here and several of my colleagues from the developer experience and evangelism group are here as well. We've had people fly in from New York and Seattle and Texas. Um, and then we have a few of us who are as local as Chicago and Minneapolis come in for this as well. So really the reason for me being here is to support the MVPs. We have a lot of MVPs who are here speaking and attending and um, support my colleagues who are also speaking and attending and then also just to to meet as many folks as I can as possible and um, learn about what they're doing with community and talk about uh, Microsoft the MVP program and and just just get to know everyone as best I can that's awesome so where can we uh, go to find out more about uh, MVP program yeah. maybe even if we're not interested in being an MVP because not all of us you know are, yeah, that that's it's a certain personality to do that. Mm -hmm. But sometimes 
you know, the MVPs are, are there in public for a reason because we mm-hmm. do things. So how, how would we go find out more about the MVP program and maybe where to find an MVP? Yeah. So all of that information is available on our website. Best way to find it, other than giving you the URL, is just to go on a search engine, type in Microsoft MVP. You'll find our website. You can, um, at that website, learn about what the MVP program is. You can actually nominate someone or yourself. So if you think you're a great fit for the MVP program, you can nominate yourself right on the website or someone else that you think would be a great fit. You can also look through our MVP directory and find MVPs by area, by country, and by technical area of focus. Um, you can also reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter um, at Lisa Anderson 312 um, And also you can find me on email, lisa.anderson at Microsoft.com. Hey, anything else you want to mention? Um, you know, we're always looking for great people in the program. If you're interested in learning more, definitely reach out to me. Um, if you're at this conference or if I'm going to be at any event where you find yourself, you know, follow me on Twitter. I, I tend to post where I'm going and I'd love to meet as, as many of you as I can. That's awesome. Is there anywhere else other than your Twitter address you want to point to people online or is that a, the best spot? That and email is the best spot. Um, yeah. And other, other than the MVP website. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Thanks for talking to yeah, us today. Thanks for having me. All right. Today we have Keith Casey. Um, he is the third day keynoter at that conference. And this is day two. So, Wait, uh, is that tomorrow? That Oh, crap. Did you start? No. No. Uh, I need to figure that out. I thought it was day four. Day four? So I thought I had another 24 hours. And a water park to do it in? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm derailing things already. So what is your keynote topic? So my, my keynote topic is stop writing code. Stop writing code. Stop writing code. So as developers, we, we should stop just, writing code. Right, I'm going to tell my boss yes. that I can no longer do that. So, yes. so what's wrong with writing code? So it's, it's fundamentally, it's not a problem with writing code. It's a problem with writing code too early. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times as developers, we want to write code because we think every problem can be solved via code. And it's, that's where our gut says, that's where we want to jump to. That's, you know, every time we start a project, we want to start, we want to start with code. We want to open our, up our editors like, and go. I know that problem. I can solve it. Exactly. But realistically, while that, that's great in concept, mm-hmm. if we have a better understanding of the problem, we'll realize not all problems need code. A user interface is a solution. If sometimes there, there are places where, yeah, we can add code to improve something, but we might improve our documentation. We might improve our user interface. So I'm trying to get developers and, and the people here at least to say, okay, code is a tool. Code is one tool that we use. And if we think of that as the only tool in our toolbox, we'll immediately jump to it without considering the other options. So it's like a carpenter who only use a ha- hammer. Mm-hmm. Like a carpenter who only used a hammer, you'd think there, there was something wrong with them. Yep. We need to think about the other tools in our toolbox. And what, you know, what are some of those tools that we have at our, dis- at our disposal? Uh, I, I would say uh, first understanding the problem better in general, because once we know that, we, once we sort of have that figured out, we can take a step forward. Uh, I would say user interface as a tool. The, the iPhone 1, well, you could say it, it pretty reasonably won like the, the, the cell phone wars 10 years ago, not because it had every, all this cool stuff, but because the interface was so slick and clean, it made life easier. Mm-hmm. So user interface is a tool. Documentation is a tool. Um, uh, good sample code can be a tool. Uh, I spent two and a half years at Twilio, and that was one of the things that, that I think we nailed way back in the day, is that it's quick and easy to get started. And yes, it's quick and easy to get started with code, but by approaching it of, look, you're trying to solve a problem, let us help you solve this problem, I think goes a long way. So, because we might be solving a problem that really isn't there once we understand. 
Oh, yeah. Or, or we, we might accidentally be solving the symptoms yeah. instead of the actual problem. Yeah. Well, I, I think I have a really great example. Somebody actually requested on a website that I'm working on, like, we need to remove the space around this element. Mm -hmm. And it just came through as like, that's a task that needs to be done. Right. Well, we dug into it. And the problem was on their browser, the way that they had it, Mm -hmm. They couldn't click on, they couldn't see the button that they knew that they had to click on. Oh. And they thought that if there wasn't that space, right. there was that button. So this is a perfect example. I didn't have to write any code. Mm -hmm. We just have to realign expectations on what, what it is we're trying to do with a form, a software. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like you said, maybe we could just solve this by reworking our workflow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if we always default to code, we're always picking up that hammer. So yeah. that's kind of the mindset that I that I, I approach this with. Yeah, very reasonable. Something like you said, uh, a lot of us developers are problem solvers by default, mm -hmm. and it's fun to attack a problem with code. Yeah. Well, one of one of the questions I'm going to open with tomorrow, and the, I know this won't be published till afterwards, yeah. is uh, how many people here write code for a living? And I expect almost every hand to go up because that's what we do. Mm -hmm. So if we write code for a living, then we should be measured by how many lines of code we write, right? No. We, we don't want that. What we don't do, want that. No, we don't want that because that's a terrible metric. Because our goal, our job is not to write code. Our job should be to solve problems. And when we start mm -hmm. thinking about it in those terms, I think a lot of things come together and a lot of things make more sense. All right. So to me, this makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's going to make a lot of sense to everybody in this room. But how do, how do we go back to our workplaces and convince our, our bosses, our managers, our, our teammates that we need to be coding less and spending more time up th front thinking about these issues. Yeah, we, well, we need to be coding lessons, but solving problems yeah. more. And my sort of mindset on it is that we need to ask why. Mm -hmm. Not why is it, why do you want me to do this? But why, why, is this, why, why is this a problem? What did you expect? What are you getting? You know, those classic things that we go through when we get a bug report? Yep. Like, go through of, okay, well, what, what did you see? What did you expect? You know, why is it like this? And I think if we have a better understanding of that, I think we can do a better job as, as a, a team, as an industry. Because you mm -hmm. know what? We're getting to the point where there, there are more and more people in this group and in our industry as a whole where there are literally lives on the line. We need to be thoughtful about what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I'm going to twist this conversation a little bit here, you know, away from your keynote. Okay. And kind of, you know, where we ended our discussion last year at that conference. So last year we were talking about Facebook hacks. Yes. And when you talk about being thoughtful, uh, this week I, on Twitter there was that first seven jobs thing. And I, yes. I, I know that by the grin on your face yeah. you have a few things to say about this. Yeah. So as soon as I saw first seven jobs, I, I, I saw it. It was a trending topic. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, this is trouble. Because I knew there had to be a couple of different banking websites that were using, like, what's your first job as the newest security question. Mm -hmm. And I dug in and I found one bank website that was using what's your first job as mm -hmm. a security question. Another one was using what was your second job as mm -hmm. a security question. And now with one Twitter hashtag, you have defeated. everybody's defeated. Like, that's fantastic and horrifying all at once. Yeah. And, you know, and like you said last year, some of these are just fun to get on. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to throw out one piece of information, but you know, I, I don't care because I don't use it, mm -hmm. but my first job is a pickle picker, pickle picker. Yeah. I was 10 years old and there was like a local, local farm mm -hmm. that, you know, they sold their, their vegetables at the farmer's market. And I went for them and per pound that I picked, I picked 
cucumbers that went into uh, pickling. Pick the pickle but per pound. Yes. Okay. And you I know, feel like we're leading up to something. No, here. but it, it's it's that kind of thing. Is because that's a unique job. I oh, yeah. I, I kind of want to share that. Mm-hmm. And even though I knew it was going on, I, yeah. I withheld on putting that out there, at least in that form, just because you could do a quick, you know. The, the solution is not that we hold back that yeah. information and then we fill it into the bank forms accurately. Yeah. The the correct solution is we think about uh, multi-factor for our bank accounts yes. that we make up total answers. So um, for one of my bank accounts, I don't, I don't fill it out as myself. I've got a best friend that I've known mm-hmm. for decades and I fill it out as him. Because yep. I know what street he grew up on. I yep. know what pet's name he had. Like, that's one approach. It's not a great approach, yep. but that's an approach. And then I use things like uh, like LastPass, and I just generate garbage and drop it in there. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's fun stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it almost seems like this happened at too perfect of a time right before that conference. Yeah. Though, so yeah, It was very amusing. I, I was just gleefully cackling <laughs> on the entire way here. Yeah. So is there anything else interesting that you're working on? Because I know you're always working on something interesting. So uh, so I'm working on a couple things. I'll share about one of them. Sure. Um, so I recently started a new job. Oh. So I joined a company called Okta. That's O-K-T-A. All right. Um, they do identity as, as a service, mm-hmm. uh, authorization, authentication as a service, because it seemed to resonate with my personal interests. Yeah. And, and really, you know, solving these other problems. Yeah, if everybody's doing them poorly by mm-hmm. doing the wrong thing, yeah. you know, let's get these, like, like we put, faith in the cloud to yes. handle all of these infrastructure and platform issues, they can do it better than we can. Let's mm-hmm. find somebody who can do this identity better than we can. Yeah. And I, I think, I, I think fundamentally, and I, I did this when I, when I first mm-hmm. talked with them the first time and I said, look, identity is a core fundamental, like foundational issue. Mm-hmm. If we can solve that, there's an entire stack of problems on top of it that we can start to solve. Right now, people are trying to solve all these problems on top with like better access control and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And until we have identity nailed, we can't do that well. Yeah. And, and there, there's going to be hacks on top of hacks on top of hacks. And and I mean hacks is in like something that's crappy that we build. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be hacks in terms of like target getting hacked and stuff like that. We need to be, we need to solve this problem. And when we do and we solve it well, I think it, there's going to be just an explosion of new opportunities for, for all of us. And I think that's a great thing. Yeah. And I know personally at work, we have an entire team that's focused just on identity. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it is a big issue and, uh, it's one that could, is ripe for innovation. Oh, yeah. And, and whoever can nail it is going to win. And it's going to open up an entire class of problems and solve an entire class of problems that we're just beginning to figure out. Yeah. So, so anything else that you want to mention that you're doing or up to? Uh, nothing that I want to, this, this is being recorded. So, uh, no, the statute of limitations hasn't run out on anything else. So right. I'll leave that out. All right, so hopefully next year we'll have a really good story. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm uh, I am keeping busy. I've been doing a bunch of machine learning and mm-hmm. community analysis and things like that that uh, I'll be happy to talk to talk about later this year. I'm still doing some experimentation. Yeah, machine learning seems to be one of the topics uh, that is really, you know, people are starting to understand and come to the forefront. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know Seth Juarez did a talk. We talked to yep. him a little bit earlier, um, and even D- David Giard did a talk about yep. some of that. So. Even here at that conference, we're seeing a lot more of those kind of... uh... Oh, yeah. And um, like Microsoft released, uh, it was originally called Project Oxford Yep. uh, with image analysis and stuff. I think they've renamed it, rebranded it. Cognitive Services. Cognitive Services. It just rolls off the thumb. It's such a vague name. Like, come (laughs) on, guys. Uh, But Oxford 
is amazing. Yes. Like the stuff they're doing in the image space, I've just, I started dorking around with it like early this year, February, March, and they're doing some really cool stuff. So I don't know if you know this, but there is a booth here. They actually have an app. Mm-hmm. And for their giveaway, you have to take pictures, mm-hmm. but not just random pictures. You, you need to pick, take a picture of like a giraffe and it uses those cognitive service APIs mm-hmm. to determine if you took a picture of what you were supposed to. Oh, like a scavenger hunt. Like a scavenger hunt. And they even have like little mini quests. Like you need to get like a crowd and then um, watching. So you got, you need to get a verb in there too. And, and if you, if you get pictures that match those full things, those are worth extra points. So they're using that to determine their winner. And I think that's just really creative. Oh yeah. That's fantastic. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I need to go sign up for that. Yeah. So, I know you've been here many times. Have you been to all of that? Uh, well, my, my badge actually says first time attendee, um, <laughs> which might be a lie. No, I, I've been. Uh, is this five so far? This is the I've fifth. been to all of them. Yeah, because I know. So. I, I remember the. I think it was the second year you did the battle decks, and you just oh, yeah. killed everybody on that. Oh, yeah, that was yeah, thank fun. you. It was it was lots of fun. Yeah, yeah. So you know, you know, what do you find so appealing about that conference? So which conference? It, this, oh, this 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 con- this that conference. That okay, this that conference. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I, ha- I had to. <laughs> yeah. um, so I I was a developer evangelist with Twilio. Uh, I've hit twelve to fifteen conferences a year, and this is hands down my favorite. It's yeah. hands down my favorite, and it's it's partially it's like the kids and family track. It's mm-hmm. the They've got a petting zoo. I mean, come on. How, how amazing is that? They, um, and they had a white tiger and a kangaroo you could pet this year. Nice. I saw the kangaroo. I didn't see the tiger. Yes. Yeah. So, like, they make it a a family trip. They make yep. it, like, they, they do the, the open space and stuff. We're yep. sitting right across the hall from the open space and stuff where people just come in and they say, here's what I'm passionate about. And they sit down mm-hmm. and talk. And... Um, I, I described it earlier. That conference feels like a family reunion where everyone is your weird uncle <laughs> or aunt, weird aunt too, you know. Yeah. And because it, it, there's very a, a familial sort of thing about yeah. it. Like you get to catch up with people that you haven't seen for a while, and they're like, "Here's what I've been working on. Check it out." And it's like, "Oh, that's cool." Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just I love it. And then you know, tonight there's a water park party and there's a bar in the hot tub. There is a bar in the hot tub. Yeah, that that's like my pitch. There's a bar in the hot tub. <laughs> yes. And that's after that pig roast. Yes, it's after the pig roast, but before my keynote. <laughs> so I've got a theory that Clark actually hates me because the the water park party wraps at what? Two? 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 And my morning. keynote starts at 8.30, six and a half hours later, and I'm not allowed to sleep in the expo hall. So, you know, I still not think, that it I checked. Be, I think it would be epic if you just crawled out of the tent. In swim trunks? Yeah. In swim trunks. Yeah, I've, I've considered that. If this wasn't going to be recorded in live stream for posterity, like I... On Channel 9? Yeah, on Channel 9. <laughs> yeah. That just seems like a terrible idea to have my name permanently associated with that. <laughs> Excellent. So where can people find you online? Uh, I am Casey Software. That's C-A-S-E-Y Software. Uh, that's .com. That's on Twitter. That's on Skype. That's on uh, LinkedIn. You can find me pretty easily. All right. And not only that, but you will be on Channel 9 again with this episode. So we are Fantastic. there as well. All right. Right now we are talking to John Potasic. Uh, where, uh, can you tell me uh, who you work for, what you do? Hey, Carl. Um, I work at Skyline Technology, so we're a Microsoft Gold partner in the Midwest, uh, mostly focused in Wisconsin. I'm a principal consultant there, so I meet with a lot of our different customers and uh, a lot of web stuff, mobile stuff. We just got done uh, deploying an app for a music festival in our hometown with 70,000 people. So you, you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Because that was pretty big. Sure. We um, There's a music festival that started up 
uh, right around the time that conference did, uh, four years ago in Appleton, Wisconsin. So uh, there's a Grammy-nominated artist from Appleton named Corey Chisel. Mm-hmm. He got started, um, you know, in, in Appleton, moved to Nashville, but wanted to bring uh, live music back to his hometown. So he started this music festival. Uh, this year, I think they had over 800 um, acts perform. They had 70 artists playing, and it's a lot of fun. So there's four days. Uh, people take over the downtown. 70,000 people. They have a bus that drives around that the artists perform on. There's, um, you know, a bike 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 ride that they do where the artists will play at different stops and you can have a beer and listen to music on your 40 mile bike ride. So a lot of different things going on. We did, you know have a lot of our people that attend the festival. So we wrote a mobile app for it, and uh, this year Microsoft. Came in, did a video, met with Corey. We did a big thing for WPC. So um, it's been a fun ride for us getting that through and getting it done. So, And it also looks like you have a That Conference shirt that uh, not many other people have. So uh, are you affiliated with the conference in any uh, official way? I am am unofficially affiliated. (laughs) So uh, we've been a gold sponsor of the conference from the beginning. And this year I'll be speaking. So every year I've been chosen to speak. Unfortunately, last year I had to kind of bail out at the last minute, but uh, I'm wearing the, I believe it's a speaker shirt for the year. Okay. I'm not 100% sure. But. Yeah, I did not get chosen this year. So I didn't, I didn't know exactly what that shirt meant versus the other ones. But uh, speaking of what you'll be talking about, you said uh, you're going to be talking about React and Angular. So what, what are those and which one's better? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm going to be talking on uh, uh, React and the new version of Angular coming out, Angular 2. So as we go out and talk to customers and clients and users in the community, um, folks really are kind of thinking about React, Angular, which one makes sense for the organization. So my talk focuses on looking at those. So Angular tends to be a very, um, you know, it's a very popular JavaScript framework, at least in the 1.x world. Mm-hmm. Um, created by Google, uh, they to kind of get things more in sync with the upcoming ECMAScript, you know, ECMA standards and uh, the approach, you know, coming in in the JavaScript world for components and web components. They really almost redid the entire thing. So calling it a new version of Angular is almost uh, a disservice. Yeah, it's you know they could have called it Foo and it would have been <laughs> a, also a proper name. So um, a lot of organizations that are taking a look at um, you know. The learning curve for that and then taking a look at react so react is another it's not a framework per se so it's a much more terse version it's more of the view engine mm-hmm. and that comes from uh, the people at facebook so um, and that's what they do all of their applications in correct correct so mike uh, yeah facebook does uh, all their app development in in react so it's amazing the amount of velocity that that has. So I think uh, I took a look at the GitHub repo for that. Their last version maybe was like 15.5 or something was a week ago, and they've had, I don't know, like 150 commits since then, so wow. in, in, in a week or so. So they, there's a lot of velocity there, a lot of enthusiasm. Um, you know, so f- I'm a consultant, so I get paid a lot to say it depends. So that's <laughs> when I go in and talk about whether it's React or, or Angular for organization, it, it depends. Um, I think enterprises will probably move to Angular more just because there is a definitive way to do things, right? So mm-hmm. this is the way you're going to go and get data. You're going to use, you know, kind of the reactive extensions that Microsoft developed. This is the way you're going to go and create, um, you know, your routes and that kind of uh, uh, approach. Whereas on the Angular or the React side, it tends to be much more focused on, you know, we want really want to make this great view engine, and they do, and they and that. 
they do that. And then you kind of bring your own sauce, what you want in terms of how are we going to go and do, you know, our, our data access or how are we going to go and do our routing? So there's best practices you can do, but you can, you know, it's kind of open. find your own way. Yep. And I, and I can also imagine that uh, enterprises might also like Angular as well because they've adopted TypeScript, which allows, you know, more strongly typed names yep. like a, like a C-sharp developer would be used to. Yep. So it's been it's uh it's been really interesting kind of watching that whole TypeScript development. Um, I think initially it was Google had something with Dart maybe, mm-hmm. um, and and so they were focused on that. Microsoft obviously has been working on TypeScript for four years, five years now. And um, when you know as the Angular team was working on it, they just found TypeScript work a lot better for what they were trying to do. So they've been partnering with Microsoft. The um, growth in TypeScript has been amazing. So you see a lot more people getting interested in over the last years. Um, you can still develop all of your Angular code in JavaScript, but in what is really, you know, kind of flummoxing to me when you go on out to Google sites and take a look at all the code samples they have and, and, and tutorials, it all starts with TypeScript. And then maybe a month or two later, they'll get a JavaScript example up. So they're really starting first They've with really TypeScript. They've really adopted it. Yep. They're, they're both feet into the water. It's open source. So, um, you know, they're contributing to the, you know, project that Microsoft started. So, you know, it's really, if you're going to be doing Angular, you know, TypeScript tends to be the way that people start uh, developing applications. So I haven't done a lot with React, but one of the things that I have heard is it uh, allows you to be a little bit more componentized, break things down into you know, you know, more like containerized chunks. Is, is that accurate? And that that is accurate. Um, the interesting thing though is the new version of um, what what Google is doing with with Angular. So Angular two mm-hmm. is is kind of have that same thing going on. So they have that component approach going. Um, you know, they have things more compartmentalized than it was in the um, you know, what was really a pretty confusing world with directives and scope variables and all the stuff that folks did in Angular 1.x. So that, that seems to be kind of a, a trend where everybody's getting on board with, you know, building very small, tight things that just interact well with each other. Yep, I definitely think you've kind of hit it on the head there. The, uh, I think a lot of it is being driven by, uh, you know, the web components that are coming and, and trying to, to get in front of that. You know, the interesting thing for me when I, when I think about the you know, talking to organizations about React versus um, Angular is, you know, Facebook is definitely 100% invested in React. They're working on React Native. They are working at, um, you know, this is what Facebook runs on, you know, a multi-billion dollar company. Whereas Angular isn't really got that kind of love, right? So Gmail isn't using Angular as far yep. as I know. Um, a lot of the apps that Google develops for their web properties are it's not... It's all internal custom stuff. Yeah, or else they're using Polymer, which is another... Google library that's really focused on, you know, web component development. So it's really hard. You know, I haven't quite grokked what, what Google's answer is for how you go and do these things. Mm-hmm. So when they talk about Angular um, in the marketplace or um, when they do things like Google I.O., right, you really don't hear a lot about Angular. You mm-hmm. tend to hear more about Polymer. So it's, you know, who, what is the audience that Google's trying to find with Angular? Angular? Um, with the rather people being used in Polymer versus Angular. So it's, these are interesting things I haven't quite figured out yet, but yeah. um, I keep looking for. Yeah. So what else are you working on? Anything else? Um, well, there's always a bevy of things. So we've been doing some more uh, work with uh, Node. So we've been exploring mm-hmm. Node a little bit. Um, some of our customers have been... Uh, kind of fun and exploratory. So we've been doing some .NET Core. So we were some of the early adopters for that. We got some uh, websites out using .NET Core. 
We've been uh, a lot of Xamarin work lately. Mm -hmm. So once Microsoft made the announcement that they bought Xamarin and that was free, we've had a lot of our enterprise clients kind of get more excited about that rather than having to deal with licensing fees. So we've seen a lot of Xamarin development going on. Is that what you did the Mile of Music app in? Yes. So the Mile of Music app was uh, Xamarin. And it's, um, you know, we've used a lot of the uh, backend cloud stuff. Mm -hmm. In this case, it was Azure. You know, mm -hmm. it's kind of one of those great, great examples of... Uh, why you need burst mode. So we have, you know, an app that nobody uses for 51 weeks of the year. And then we have 70,000 people come to Appleton, Hammer Wisconsin. And, you know, yeah, so we need a lot more, uh, a lot more CPU resources for a week. So, you know, it's, it's just really a great example of how you can use cloud to make sure things don't break. Awesome. So where can people find you online? I am many places. Um, I'm on the LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter at uh, J Patasic. So that's J P T A. C E K. I blog at uh, jpotastic.com. Um, and, you know, just Google. Uh, there's another Jay Potastic who tends to be a bit more of a touchy feely writer about um, Buddha or something. So I'm not that John Potastic. So you're not that guy. All I right. am not that guy. <laughs> but all things tech related, that's you. Yeah, it could be. All right. Well, it's been nice talking to you again, John. Uh, thanks for coming out. All right. Thanks, Carl. Right now, we're talking to David Giard at day two of that conference. <laughs> Welcome. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, so I know you were here last year. We talked last year. So how, how many times have you been to that conference? Uh, I've been, this is my fourth time. I think this is the fifth of that conference. Okay. So I've been to one, three, four, and five. Nice. Yeah. So good, probably coming back next year as well because I'm having a great time. Yeah. So did you bring your family this year? Or I just, did not. You nah. did not? All right. Yeah. My kids are old. They're bigger than me. They're like your size. <laughs> so... Um, I'm assuming you came here with Microsoft. Uh, uh, yeah, so Microsoft is sponsoring. I think we're, uh, uh, what is it, principal sponsor? The biggest sponsor here. Yeah. We've got a big booth around the corner here. And uh, I'm just as a community guy, I'm excited to see my company sponsoring a big community event like that, this. That is huge because, I mean, something like this can't happen without the sponsors. Yeah. The, the sponsors are really huge. I mean, even on the family tickets, you know, I mentioned family those are being sold at a loss. The sure. sponsors make up for that. And, you know, as an attendee, a lot of the times, you know, we forget how much that row of people out there aren't just giving us free stuff. They're yeah. letting us come here at a greatly discounted rate. Yeah, so. this is a great, great event, a great price, nice venue, great content, great speakers. So you spoke yesterday, right? I did. I talk, did talk yesterday on uh, Microsoft Cognitive services which so, just rolls off the tongue doesn't it, it yeah it does so it <laughs> no, sounds it pretty brainy what you know what exactly is cognitive <laughs> I say that I joke because it used to be called Project Oxford yeah which I thought was a perfectly good name <laughs> yeah sometimes some Microsoft their, 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 their project names are way better than their production we names. do we do a lot of things really well but I don't know if naming no. things is, is our strength I don't know uh, anyway what it is is uh, it's a set of APIs mm -hmm. uh, web services APIs mm -hmm. that expose machine learning. So there's, a, you know, of course, um, Microsoft has Azure, and Azure is a, a, a huge, hugely scalable compute platform in the cloud, and it can do lots of data processing, can do things in parallel. This is ideal for machine learning. Machine learning is when you take lots of data and you just try to determine, based on the, the properties of that data, how are these properties of the data related to those properties of the data, and you do kind of a, a iterative process. It takes a lot of time and a lot of data and a lot of compute power, which most of us don't have. And couldn't afford to do it. Right, yeah. But, but Microsoft does. We own all these computers in the back end. Mm -hmm. And you can spin these up and, and 
crunch a whole bunch of data and then expose what they've learned because what you, the purpose of doing that is to do some predictive analysis. So you know that when I get more similar data, I can do some prediction to say, okay, now show me these properties and predict what those properties will be based on what we've learned so far. And, uh, and you can do that yourself. There's tools in Azure for building machine learning projects. But what cognitive service does is it kind of democratizes that. You don't have to be an expert on machine learning just to take advantage of the machine learning that's gone on so far. So, so from what I understand, though, of cognitive services as packaged up right here, though, it's not just generic machine learning. It's right. kind of scoped to a few different areas. What are they? Yeah, so there's a, there's a bunch of things on vision, which is uh, analyzing images and um, video. There's some on sound, which will do speech-to-text and text-to-speech. There's some on language processing. It'll do some natural language stuff. There's some on uh, all the searching in Bing is in there. There's the Lewis which engine, which is uh, doing some really amazing things with natural language. Um, all sorts of things. But my talk yesterday focused mostly on the vision and the voice. Mm -hmm. So I, I really like the vision stuff because I'm a visual guy, and I, uh, I it's, it does things like um, the, the service that does face detection. It'll tell, look at a picture of some people, tell you where the faces are, where the eyes are, and the nose are, and the mouth, and then you can, and then attributes about those faces. How old is the person in each picture? How uh, are they wearing glasses? Do they have facial hair? Uh, so just like when I upload a picture to Facebook and it puts some boxes around there, sure. um, what we could do now with this is go one step further. We could enumerate through all of my friends and family yep. and say, this is most likely, you know, Uncle Bob or... Yep. Uh, it's... um. It'll do uh, recognition. It'll do yep. uh, say how similar are these faces together, or how much does this look like picture look like Dave's? You can do it for authentication, for example. You can do it for tagging, like Facebook was suggests. Oh, this looks a lot like Dave. Let's put Dave's mm -hmm. face on there and just ask you to confirm if it's true. Um, there's an API for detecting emotion, so it'll look and see uh, whether or not you know whether it thinks that you're happy or sad or angry or I think there's like eight different emotions. Well, that, that actually gives me a really cool idea. Like, even for, like, a regular app, uh -huh. like, if you detect that somebody's, like, all of a sudden gets angry at your app, maybe <laughs> yeah. it starts recording what they're yeah. doing uh -huh. and then sends it back. So, like, what what is my app doing that's making somebody angry? Interesting. So that could be a really cool ad analytics. Don't rely add. on their feedback to tell you that. Just watch yeah. their face and see yeah. if they start to look angry. If they start to look happy, then <laughs> give them more of the same. Yeah. yeah. Start building those features into it. Every time they go to this page, everybody gets mad. Why yeah. is that? Yeah, let, let's take out that page or make it better. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's a pretty cool one. I was thinking that maybe, uh, you know, how Amazon always yeah. said, they'll, um, when you look at a product, they'll show you yeah. more of the same, similar type products. Why not have a kiosk where when you look at a product before they show you, They'll just look at your face and say, did he seem happy with that product? <laughs> well, I got the idea. You know, like a lot of apps have, like, if you shake it, it'll be like the send feedback form. Uh -huh. So I was just like, well, you know, people shake it out of anger. What if they, you could just detect that anger before they get that far uh -huh. and then automatically send, you know. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, um, there's things that, that'll, that'll tell you what's in the picture. It'll come up with t keywords and a description of the picture, tell you things like, um, Oh, is it adult content? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you want to let a lot of websites will let you let users upload their own image and then display them to the world. Well, that's kind of a risky thing to do because you don't know if somebody's going to upload some pornography, for example. Yeah. Well, uh, usually if you've got if, they, if that's a risk, people will have a human being checking and vetting those pictures and making sure that they're actually okay to be uploaded. Uh, and 
that's expensive. That's time yeah. consuming. And, and why not have a machine checking that out? And it gives you, most of these things give you a confidence level. So rather than saying, yes, it's adult content or yes, they're angry, it'll say, there's a number between zero and one. I'm 99% certain this is a happy face or I'm 52% certain this is racy content. And maybe if that level gets above 40%, maybe you want to have a human being, you know, put in a queue and have somebody check it automatically. If it's below 20%, just let it go. It's, it's probably okay. That sort of thing. Um, things like that. So you can automate processes that ordinarily would require human intervention. That's real cost savings. Yeah, absolutely. So have you seen anybody do anything really interesting with cognitive services? Um, I'm, I'm working with some people that are doing it. We were, I was talking to some folks in uh, that run like amusement parks. They were looking at doing um, uh, like testing the emotions of people coming off of rides to see whether or not they enjoyed the ride, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, I've talked about uh, um, a lot of things that are in the exploratory phase. So I'm not yeah. sure where in the real world people just, these services are relatively new and people yeah, are just now I think Project Oxford really came out last year. It came out, it was announced at Build yep. last year. So what was that, May, I think? Uh, I forget. It was I think we talked to Matthew ago. Veloso like a, in last June. Oh, you so. did it on your show? Yeah. Oh, outstanding. Yeah. Um, I gotta meet that guy. I don't know. <laughs> Is he on the team? On the cognitive services team? Uh, he's not, but he's he's worked with it enough, and he he helped build the uh, uh, one of the initial uh, Project Oxford website. Oh, was that one, the one How the Old? Yeah, the How, how Old. How Old Yeah, that was cool. And that, here's the interesting thing: they they, they showed that at Build, mm -hmm. and. And of course, people tried it. They want to check out and say, "Oh, well, let me see if it knows how old I am or how old my my wife is." And uh, and of course, by doing so, they gave it more data, more data, and it got better and better as it went on. And it's deployed on Azure, so it can handle that. It's very scalable. And oh, did I tell you the best part? What? Totally free. That is awesome. Uh, totally free. It's they're, not. They're, it's not often that you see something that is free like that and provides so much stuff that would be very costly for you to make yourself. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of value behind it. And the, it, to be fair, the, the free version is, um, depending on which service you call, it's tens of thousands of calls per month. Yeah. So I, I'm playing with this a lot and I'm doing talks on it. And there's uh, I've never even come close to mm -hmm. burning through those tens of thousands of calls per month. But um, uh, if you wanted to, let's say, let's say you actually built a business on top of this, and you were going to do hundreds of thousands, millions of calls a month. You wanted more than that, then you can upgrade to a paid version. But the free version is it's pretty generous. Really generous, yeah, yeah. All right. Anything else you want to mention today? Oh uh, yeah, so I'm I'm actually if you um, if you want to learn more about this, I've been writing about it, blogging about it. I've been writing, doing some screencasts. And if you go to my blog, which is my name, davidgr.com. Um, I'll, I'll send you a link to the specific page. I've got a page where I'm just aggregating my GitHub repository. I have a repository with all a bunch of cognitive service demos. I've got a, a bunch of labs that I've written. I've got a bunch of screencasts that are available on Channel 9. Um, and I've got uh, a bunch of blog posts. So if we want to get into it, see some code, maybe just download it, hit F5, see what it's like. It's all there. That's awesome. the, yeah. That's the links to the things that I've done, and there's a lot of resources that I'm I'm trying to, what as I learn them, I'm trying to share them with the world. If you want, to, uh, probably the best starting page is Microsoft.com/slash/cognitive-services. Right. So uh, if you can spell well, there. it's no yeah, problem. <laughs> yeah, you could probably put it on the in yeah. your notes somewhere. <laughs> yeah, definitely will. Um, it's been uh, nice talking to you again Definitely. this year, uh, Dave, and uh, looking forward to uh, seeing what you're doing next after this. Carol, thanks so much. 